The 66 podcast for all the people and places between the west coast of Cumbria and the Tees Valley. This is the UK's answer to Route 66. Welcome to the second episode of the 66 Voices podcast. I'm Bryony Cartledge from Eden Arts and I'm the host of this conversation between Joanna Rowell and Emma Porter. The 66 podcast is all about finding out what people are like, people who live in the region and people who make a difference to it. The 66 is a great region and there's some great people to talk to and find out about. So for this episode, we brought together two women who didn't know each other before this conversation. However, they do have connections through the engineering design company, Arup, which is a company that makes a real difference to places. Joanna Rowell and Emma Porter are both women who have an impact and we've created this opportunity for them to interview each other. After a slightly hesitant start, I'm sure you'll agree that they soon got into the swing of it, talking about how they became the people that they are, how it feels to be a woman in the workplaces that they are in, that imposter syndrome that I'm sure many people can relate to and how they have a tendency to fill up all of their time. I hope you enjoy listening to them, getting to know a little more about each other. So over to you, Emma. So yeah, hi Joanna. So I'm um, Emma Porter, I'm Managing Director at Story Contracting um, and I'm on the LEP and actually Chair Carlisle's Town Deal Board um, and I was at Arup for six years off and on um, under Mike Osborne's team so we've probably almost crossed paths a number of times before but just not quite. Um, so yeah, that's me. Oh, nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Joanna Rowell and I'm a director at Arup. Um, so no, our paths haven't crossed before, which is a shame, but we can certainly see if we've got any common <laughs> memories of Arup together, I guess. Um, so I run the integrated city planning team, which is a mixture of um, urban designers, landscape architects, planners, economists climate change and energy specialists and a team that look after major events um and i'm working for government on the town's fund so it's great that you're a chair of one of the town boards so i will undoubtedly at some point be looking at the tip that your town submit um and mark said it was a pleasure to read and one of the nicest ones they've read in our arab feedback session so that was that was very nice yeah. oh amazing amazing well that's great to hear um, we're doing our job well then. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my role. Before um, Arup, I worked for the Mayor of London for about eight years um, in economic policy and then in regeneration uh, during the riots and the Olympics. Um, and then before then, lots of different things. But yeah, so that's my, sorry, slightly yeah, long yeah. introduction. So when I first joined Arup, I was on Stephen Pollard's team. Um, and I think some of those oh, guys okay. involved in the Olympics um, yeah. and the ops consulting stuff. They didn't quite know where to put me. And so I kind of moved around a little bit for a, a while. Great. <laughs> Sounds very Arab. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wonderful Arab. <laughs> okay. It's brilliant. Yeah, Stephen's head of consulting now, actually. So yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, tell me a bit about your background growing up. Where are you from and... What kind of stuff did you like doing at school? And... Uh, so I'm from Carlisle, which is where I still live now. <laughs> um, what did I like doing? I was a, a pony mad when I was um, a child and would spend any spare moment I possibly could with the horses. There was a oh stable up, up the road and there, so I would bike 
And if, in fact, on a show day, because my mum and dad were very much kind of, you need to just independent, let me get on with it. I would bike with the saddle like balanced on the crossbar of my bike. That's amazing. I'm a bit scared of horses. Uh, they were just, yeah, I was obsessed with them. I wanted to be a vet when I was kind of a child, um, but I'm a bit squeamish. I'm not great with, I did a work experience at a vet's because I would definitely want to be a vet. And I fainted whilst the puppy was getting stitches and I thought maybe it's not for me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not a vet. <laughs> oh dear, my daughter's very squeamish actually, and she wants to be a vet or a doctor, but we're pretty sure she's not going to be able to do that either. I have to get her in touch with you, and you can talk about other career options. <laughs> For a long time, I really just thought I'd be able to get over it. Like if I just kind of maybe like watched veterinary things on the TV, or my grandma, my grandma had a farm, and so if I kind of, I was always really keen to help the vet whenever they were there and like pass them there kind of tools and run around but as soon as it got to any kind of incision I was like oh no <laughs> need to go and sit on a hair bale with my head between my legs I couldn't I couldn't really get past it but it's a bit of a oh. barrier if you want to be a vet but it's fine I like the job I do now so it's all it's all worked out okay <laughs> are you still in Carlisle now then yeah I've been away yeah. I went to university in Leeds um and I kind of just had a gap year traveling and I lived in France for a year for my MBA but other than that I always come back here um for your childhood can you tell me a story from your childhood that somehow kind of reflects who you are now oh wow that is such a good question um, you can think about it for a minute because I don't expect you to just have them ready. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I'm thinking about the fact that... So I grew up in Hong Kong um, and I came to England when I was about 10. Um, so I'm trying to think about something I did in my childhood that reflects now. And there is a story that my mum loved to tell, which was probably encapsulates slightly my my personality now and I've thought of it really quickly so I don't know what that says about me <laughs> um uh, uh, so we were on a boat sailing to one of the islands of Hong Kong because actually I think everyone thinks of Hong Kong as a major metropolis but there are so many smaller islands um around the perimeter which are full of beaches and beautiful seaside actually so it's a bit like going off to the seaside for a day I suppose when you're um a child in England and we were right out in the middle of the China Sea and I was about three or four years old and apparently I just looked at my mum and dad and went right I'm going in and jumped into the open water wow probably shark infested and the boat was going at quite a speed so just kind of left me there bobbing in the ocean um and obviously my mum remembers it quite differently to me yeah I mean that's terrifying but horrifying yeah, yeah. so I guess jumping in both feet and not worrying too much about the consequences yeah. is possibly part of my personality oh, that's such a good story how about you you've got any stories from childhood that influenced? That. <laughs> as I say my mother wouldn't have said that was a good story so but yeah, yeah. anything that you did at well putting your head between your legs when you see animals being born and so yeah. forth is probably I, like pretty... I don't want that to reflect like who I am though like just I don't feel like that's a good um my my mum tells a story about probably a similar age about three and my grandma had bought me a, a bike um a little purple bike and brought it in and mum said something like what what's the bike for just a treat like it wasn't a birthday or Christmas or anything just it was just just because grandmas can spoil their grandchildren. 
And um, I think mum had said something like, oh, you're so spoiled. And I was like, I am not. Took the bike, threw the bike down the stairs and refused to ride the bike until I deemed it kind of an appropriate time to get a gift and would accept it. And I think it's, <laughs> it's not a great, I mean, I sound like a tyrant, but um, I think I am probably almost sometimes maybe too keen to try and kind of prove that I've earned something and like feel like I can I've I've owned and actually I think sometimes maybe a little bit imposter syndrome where I think oh well I don't know if I've earned that yet I need to wait and I I probably need to not do that and just accept kind of you know um like I remember when I was I was doing a project at Sellafield and Darren um Briggs had said oh you, you know you would be great as project manager for that and in my head, I was thinking, I don't know how to be project manager on that, but because I'd fairly recently read Lean, Lead it, Lean In by um, Michelle Sandberg, I was like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, 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 I can do that. But um, <laughs> the three-year-old in me was thinking, you don't deserve that yet. You need to earn it. Gosh, I get the same, actually. And I sometimes wonder, do you reckon women are more into uh, imposter syndrome than our male colleagues? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not fair. But... No, it feels like there are. I feel like if I speak to a senior woman about it, they'll almost invariably be like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, completely get it. Yeah. And some men get it, but some men just are blank, like, what? Like, you, yeah. are you just, like... What do you mean? You feel like people might find out you're like a massive imposter. I'm like, well, you know, you feel like maybe all the exams you've done, you just got lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which obviously Definitely. when you say it out loud, you know that can't possibly be true. But Yeah, well, my first day at Arif, actually. Um, so I'd had a pretty senior role at the mayor's office, um, quite a lot of responsibility and so forth. And I'd left in good stead, you know, done a good job. And I remember my first day at Arif, I said to my husband, oh, there's going to be all these really clever people yeah. and they're not going to want, you know, they're going to wonder what I can do. And yeah, yeah. I, I really was so anxious when I joined this firm and didn't think I would succeed. Um, but I think that was probably imposter syndrome because I was worrying about what everyone else thought of me rather than... Yeah. And I'd know. heard when I joined Arup as well, there were things like people saying, oh, only people, Arup only hire people who've got a first and hire only Arup people with like who are kind of experts with PhDs and like, oh my word, like I'm not an expert in anything other than kind of, I don't know, gluing other people together. But actually sometimes I think that's what Arup needs, that that glue between the experts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I probably fall into that bucket a little bit, actually. So um, what about when you said you wanted to be a vet at school? Were there any other things at school that you loved doing that you've kind of held on to? Or... Um... I mean, I loved everything at school. I loved reading. I still love reading. Yeah, um, yeah I loved school. I like being busy. I mean, I, I remember, you know, you get like a homework diary and I can remember feeling like it had to always be full and every evening had to be full. It had to be like netball or horse riding or theatre club or record a club. Like it was, and I'm still like, oh, I still take on more than, I think I've, I don't really have, one of the questions later is about spare time. And when um, yeah. <laughs> Bryony asked me yesterday, I was like, what's the what now? <laughs> I know I've got a question for you about that, actually. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that a bit later. Um, so, my gosh. I've got a question, Go another childhood one. Um, is yeah. there anyone kind of in who made a kind of a particular impression on you, like a person or a role model or like a celebrity even that you feel kind of maybe influenced either the way you lead or what you value or something today? 
Oh, gosh, another amazing question. As a child, do you know, I still remember, and this is probably a strange one, but I still remember my first English essay I had to write in year seven, it is now, isn't it? And um, I'd only been in England a little while and I was kind of getting used to the culture and trying to understand my way, if you like, in a different country. And um, we had to write an essay about our hero and everyone chose their sort of hero and they were quite, I guess, normal. And I chose Jim, I chose Jim Henson, who was <laughs> the, the brilliant Jim Henson, because I really liked, I'd seen him in an interview and he talked about why he was creative and created the Muppets and all the puppets and so forth, but also really talked about his kind of ethics, if you see what I mean. And I remember being, what, what's year seven, about 11 years old, I guess, just being really blown away by this yeah. man who seemed to be so caring and wanted to teach children about good things in the world and yeah. values and so forth through animation and puppetry. And I don't know, I just absolutely loved him. So I think as a child, my hero was Jim Henson because I loved the Muppets. <laughs> just through that interview, there was a, a, I think he's a news presenter or something, who um, was really emotional when Biden won and Trump was out. And he talked yeah. about how, like, it's suddenly it's now going to be easier to be a parent and about how character matters. And like this shows that ultimately character does matter. Like it matters who you are and what you believe. And that was yeah. I totally. I think that is really interesting actually. And I guess, I don't know, maybe, I don't think I was sheltered, but I'm just looking back. I was quite into politics and doing the right thing. But listening to my children talk about the state of the world at the moment and Trump and and. and English politics even yeah it's quite fascinating and I do wonder if that's they have so much more access to things more instantly than we did yeah. you know 24-hour news and all the kind of it's access so to media and stuff divisive or, though, I don't isn't know, it? they're it's just not, so opinionated yeah. And... yeah I think I don't I guess it's good for people to engage with it but it's there's not much space for kind of nuanced like opinion is there at the moment it's very divisive it's very black and white like even uh, even small things become massively polarised and kind of really emotive. And I think, I mean, I guess it's good that more people are involved and interested, but not when not when you've got such a kind of shallow understanding of the issues and just that reactive type. It, it makes space for people like Trump to gain kind of power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. So what about you as a child? Did you, who were you role influenced models. by or role models? Was, that I question think, quite stumped me actually. But. I was kind of thinking about it last night and I probably think, I mean, I've got both, I'm lucky that both my grand, like my, my granny and my grandma are both still alive. Um, and they're very kind of, I've, when I think about it, both sides of my family, my mum's side and my dad's side, have got like a clear kind of matriarch at the helm, like who, and in different ways like my grandma was a farmer and very kind of really smart and really busy and really ran the farm and kind of very sort of hard work ethic and that kind of that business mindedness of it and I probably like her a bit but my granny on the other side is just someone who's really interested in people and she knows everything about everyone and she kind of she volunteered at the hospital and she volunteered at the courts we kind of joke that she did that so that she knows exactly what's going on in the in the whole town but I think I'm probably a bit of a mixture of that I am interested in people and what motivates them and what drives them and kind of you know a genuine interest in in people and uh but I've probably got my grandma's um kind of work type 
Classic. Yeah. She's got actually yeah. a poster up on the wall. And you know when your grandma, I don't know if, if you have this, but when your grandparents get kind of to a certain age, they start saying things like, oh, do you know, she starts giving me things when I'm round, like in case, in case she dies. She's like, oh, take this silver. I'm like, grandma, not, not taking your things. But um, the only thing I, I would want one day is she's got this poster on the wall and it's like a, an old-fashioned kind of map of Cumbria and it's annotated with little stories and kind of folklore and legends and things on it. But it says at the bottom in kind of Cumbrian dialect, there's not so far a slew that good management can't step straight. And it kind of means like there's nothing that kind of under good leadership can't be done, can't be fixed. I feel like, like she, I want it to stay in her house as long as possible because, you know, for obvious reasons, yeah. I don't want her to not need it. But one day um, that poster is going up on my wall. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. In fact, my grandmothers were so different. I don't know which parts of them I probably emulated. My mum had a really good work ethic and she was a social worker, actually. So I suspect, yeah, I probably would have put my mum up there, actually, as a bit of a role model, yeah. especially when it came to having my kids. Um, I did lean on her for a lot yeah, when yeah. I first had my children. Yeah, I yeah. remember saying to my mum, if I can be kind of as good a mum as she was, then I'm, I'm doing all right. She's yeah. way more organised than me, though. She's very much like, she'll make sure that they've got the right uniform and things they need. She knows I'm a little bit um, last minute. <laughs> oh, gosh. My mum didn't ever stop talking. Um, yeah, proper, proper talker. Northern, actually. Northern chatty woman. <laughs> Couldn't get her to stop. Yeah, in fact, she knew everybody and everyone, and yeah, it was very insightful. So hopefully, I've got a bit of that. Maybe not as chatty, but hopefully insightful and lots of empathy. Actually, which I think is another part of leadership that is quite important. I think probably growing up as well. So, stories of family business and was founded by my father, and so most of my kind of. Childhood and teenagers, people would say things like, oh, well, when Emma, Emma's going to round you up when she takes out. And it was very much kind of just a, a given that one day I would be working for the business. And I totally rejected that most. I did psychology at university because I definitely wasn't going to work for the family business and then eventually gave in. But um, do you wonder how much that kind of just... Sometimes I feel like I don't know anything about construction, but then actually I've been around construction and on construction sites all my life. And so I, I probably do know quite... I know what when it looks right and when it looks wrong. I've got a good feel for what a construction site ought to look like. That I think just come from a lifetime of being around construction, you know. Yeah, that's that imposter syndrome again, by the way, yeah. apologising. I think I know what construction is. I'm an MD in a construction company. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all fine. Of course you do. <laughs> Uh, what about influences now? Have you got any role models or people that you look up to or want to kind of emulate? Or, I mean, I thought I loved Mike Osborne when I was at Arab. I thought he was just fab, like a tall visionary and completely can yeah. just, you can just get carried away in the most crazy idea. And when Mike talks you through it, you think, yeah, like we can do that. So I totally kind of, there's sometimes times where I think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach this the way Mike would. Um, especially if it's something like trying to do say an opportunity for a client, really trying to go above and beyond to really think further than just this project, but what might this project lead to? I think I've got that from Mike. And um, a bigger a bigger person, I love Jakinda Adden, you know, the New Zealand pre uh, president. Oh, yeah. I know the yeah. world loves her, but she's just fab, isn't she? And that the stuff she talks about, about how kind of she, she you know, being nice and having compassion doesn't mean you're weak. I really kind of 
a strong believer in that. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm nice, she but said I'm a wonderful me. quote about that last week, actually. I can't remember what it was, but she kind of said, I'm not apologising for being kind or empathetic. There's different types of leadership, aren't there? And I thought that was incredible. And I think there's, I think there's, that type of leadership has always been good, but I think the general kind of common knowledge hasn't really acknowledged that before. We thought leaders were like aggressive kind of alpha male, punch the table, yeah, yeah. you know, decisive, tell you what to do. And I think actually that was never what good leadership looked like, but for a long time we thought it was. And I'd be good if um, if kind of the just society's view of what a leader is shifts towards having empathy and compassion and actually nurturing people because really yeah. that's what leadership is it's not screaming and shouting yeah. and punching the table I totally agree I run um, a group in our a little global little figure it's me being yes yeah. a again. little I run a global, global group, group for a few <laughs> examining like, yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure, exactly yeah Don't, <laughs> yeah apologies sorry I run a little group there's a, a global um, network of people specializing in social value and um, I coordinate that group and I heard such a fabulous phrase from one of the women on the group recently who's based in Australia and talking about Jacinda and different types of leadership and she said the most frustrating thing she finds in our profession in the built environment is when people and community issues or empathy and understanding community and society which is part of the social value story that we do um, is the soft part of infrastructure in the built environment. You've got hard, which is kind of like yeah, the station the or the railway. Yeah. The hard, but the people are soft. And she just said this amazing sentence where she said, but people are really hard. <laughs> like, they are not the easy thing to deal with at the end. And we shouldn't just sort of sort of do our project and at the end go oh by the way there are these people who might want to be involved and, yeah they're not involved yeah and I think them. leaders need to emulate that more as well you know understanding what motivates people and how we can create better places must yeah. surely be at the core of what we do rather than sort of an add-on and I think that's where leadership is moving a bit as well yeah I hope so it's I mean it's overdue yeah. isn't it and it's so needed and it's so much better like you feel like come on it's time yeah, definitely. In fact, I was, again, talking about Australia, but I was over in Australia talking to um, a group of colleagues. Um, I did a talk about leadership, actually, and um, one of the women mentioned something. I don't know what it was. I can't even remember. It was such a throwaway thing. And she just said something like, oh, I've just got to go and pick my children up from school. You know, sorry, I can't stay. All I said was, oh, wow, how many children have you got? How old are they? Had a little chat, asked their names, left didn't see her again about six months later she contacted me on LinkedIn and said oh I just read this article and it made me think of you and it was an article about good leadership is understanding the people you work with and finding out about them and um she sent me this message saying no one's ever asked me a question about my family at work thank you so much for doing that it made me feel really good and I thought crikey what is this situation we've created where I think for women, I mean, it was because she's a woman and she didn't want to talk about the fact she's got kids. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, come on, we've got to be more real about that. I've got three children. I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm a mum and director. Yeah. yeah. And I I've think it's inexcusable, well. actually, that we think it's something that people have to hide. But I think one, I mean, I feel like I'm just picking up Arab the whole time here. Sorry, <laughs> right, keep going, keep going. <laughs> when I first joined Arab, I'd had, I'd had like... Um, managers and kind of senior managers who were really good guys like totally if I needed to leave for the children that would have been fine um, but Arup was the first time where I had senior male leaders 
that visibly left themselves to pick up the children or said, I can't come to that meeting because it's parents' evening or I need to leave early on Wednesday because it's my turn for school pickup. Oh, and it was just so kind of like give you permission to do it yourself. Like it was so different than somebody saying, it's okay if you leave, you know, I'm not gonna, but it's fine for you to. That is a world away from a leader actually modeling that they're willing to leave and step out and put their children for. And it just was, it was amazing. It was, it was yeah. one of the early things that I was like, oh, what is this place I've joined? <laughs> <laughs> we care about people. And it's just such it's a small amazing. thing, but it matters. Actually, I read a piece by, um, I think it was the University of Warwick Business School recently, um, and it was on behavioural economics, and it was talking about um, productivity and value and ethics related to happiness. And I've always found the happiness question a little bit difficult to crack. I did some survey work with the ONS a number of years ago, and there was that moment where I think Cameron wanted to test the temperature of how happy England was. And they'd be like, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you? And I'd kind of go, 10, you're giving me no parameters. I'm fine. I've got, you know, a decent job and a nice house, etc." Um, So I started delving into bits sort of on the behavioral economic side and reading some papers. And the um, University of Warwick have done this correlation between happiness creates 12% more productivity. And I'm probably really underselling the paper. So apologies if anyone from the University of Warwick listens to this. But it was a really interesting insight into it doesn't always have to be financial reward or, you know, you can correlate, obviously, people doing better if they're maybe paid a bit more. But it was fundamentally saying you get more productivity out of people, the happier they are or the more included they feel or the more they're in line with the ethics and values of those who lead them. And I thought it's not rocket science, but how incredible that someone's actually modelled, you know, that there is a total match. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the other side, you know, when someone's unhappy or say, you know, if somebody, I read to, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, I read a book called um, F You Very Much. And it was about politeness and how people being rude to you affect you. And it was amazing, like the impact somebody being rude completely like damages your performance in 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 kind of shown time and time again in lots of different settings. And and you can see it happening, you know, if somebody has been rude to someone, say at work, the amount of wasted time and energy that goes into telling everyone what they said and to pick it apart and to feeling annoyed. And it's just such an unproductive, like it's much better to treat people with kind of high regard and respect and, you know, still challenge, but in a very supportive, respectful way. Yeah, yeah. And actually in our industry, a bit like we've met today, and we both work for the same firm, right? So I just feel like I have a mantra with my children that sounds so basic, but it's just be nice and kind to everyone, yeah. especially because you never know when you're going to meet them again. And the amount of people that I've been working 20 years now, I keep coming back and seeing in other guises or, you know, different working yeah. environments and so forth. And I think, why would you not just be nice and kind? <laughs> like straight up, easy to understand, isn't it? And my kids kind of go by that, I hope. Yeah, there's a um, I think I think it might be an Eleanor Roosevelt quote and it says something like you don't remember what people said or what they did but you do remember how they made you feel and I think that's totally true it can be years later and you think oh I can't quite remember but I know I think they're a good like a good guy or I know they annoyed me but I can't remember what (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah in fact I would say one of my heroes um is my old boss at the GLA Fiona Fletcher Smith I mean god she was just this whole mixture of, and I'm sure she's still brilliant now um, in her in her current role. She's moved from the public sector to um, 
private sector as well, but um, she just had this air of absolute assurance and decision making. She looked like she could make any decision within about 40 seconds of being asked, but clearly there was a lot of thought going on in the background. She just didn't show it, but was also just, is the kindest, most empathetic person but always set it straight and yeah. always held her own and was ferocious in meetings when she needed to be or sort of showed her softer side when she needed to. And I just thought, I totally wow, think- I've always kept her in mind. Whenever I try and do anything, I always think, what would Fiona do? Yeah. <laughs> what would she have said? What would she have done? Um, and I know she's doing really well now. So go on, sorry. I think it's easier. I think the, the two got together. I think it's easier to be kind of challenging and direct when it comes with kind of kindness and respect like you know tough on tough on issues soft on people type approach it's it's not personal is it you're not having to go at the person you can have fairly direct feedback and I think it's easier if you hold that person in high regard and they know it yeah absolutely absolutely um I think one of the questions um we were going to discuss was on spare time um, <laughs> do you have any spare time and I don't know maybe a better question is if you did have spare time I, know, I was thinking that last night I wrote down if you if you had spare time and you could do whatever you wanted to do <laughs> what would it be a lie in a dark room with no children <laughs> yeah that would be it. Do you know, I was saying um, to my husband last night, I was talking about the fact we were going to do this today, and I said, gosh, what would I do if I had spare time? And I think I would love to learn the cello. <laughs> I think that's just that's the only a, thing I, mean, I think not, that I will try and that's do. That's a lot of spare in the next... time. That's not I know just it is, hour. and it will sound terrible, <laughs> isn't it? Can you imagine someone in their 40s trying to pick up a cello? It's going to sound like I'm killing someone, but that's what I'd like to do if I had more time. All the time in the world, or like you say, lie in a dark room and have no one talk to me. How about you? Yeah, yeah I have a bath without a child getting in with it. That would be yeah. nice. Or for Christmas, I always ask for breakfast in bed and I never get it. I always have to get up and get it myself. Um, I think if I had, you know, a lot of spare time, I would like to, I'm not, I don't horse, ride horses anymore. I'd, do, I'd like to do that again. Uh, I'd, have, I'd have a yeah. horse again. Or I'd quite like to be able to play piano. Or I, when I did my um, MBA, you need a second language to get, I went to business school in France and you need a second language to get in. And so I learned Spanish and my Spanish was quite good at the time and now it's shocking. So I would quite like to relearn Spanish. But but really, you know, I think, because I've got three children and it's mainly been with the third that I've kind of had this approach more. But I don't know. I've always got a lot on. I always agree to do a lot of things. I always take on a lot of things. And the house is always a little bit of a mess and it's always a bit chaotic. But I just think, well, actually, I kind of, that's how it's supposed to be. If I want to have a career I love and children, then I need to kind of, the the, the chaos and the mess is part of the, the package. And so instead of kind of looking at the mess and despairing, I'm sometimes I'll kind of say to my husband, I'm like, oh, you know, aren't we lucky that it's such a mess because it's a sign, you know, that our lives are full. You yeah. Know, like, I don't think I will ever have a tidy house, by the way. Yeah. So we're totally in this one together. Like, <laughs> but I, I don't mind it. I kind of just almost embrace it and welcome it and think this is just how it's going to be. Yeah. You know, like this is, this is what I want it to be. I wouldn't give up being busy and doing extra, you know, that I do stuff with the LEP and I do Callal Town Deal Board and, I always agree to kind of mentoring or speaking to kind of young people interested in the industry. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that for spare time. I feel like the the time I don't have is just uh, that's just how it's supposed to be. It's fine. This is a period in my life 
where I'm not supposed to have a spare time. I'm supposed to be full of kids and work. It's fine. It's, it's all is as it should be, you know? Absolutely. I think that's why earlier I was saying, if anyone ever says, how happy are you on a scale of one to 10? My answer is always it's a 10 because everything is just doing as it should be. Like you say, my life is chaotic beyond belief and the kids are full on and incredible and work is great. And actually I quite like, there are two things that my husband always says, he loves the fact that they see us so busy and never sitting down. I don't think my kids ever see me sitting on the sofa, apart from maybe on a Saturday night when we watch something on the telly, but yeah, always busy, always doing something, always pretty active. But he also quite likes it if they get a bit bored sometimes, because you've also got to be a little bit bored as a child, haven't you, to kind of then create your own create your own sort of I don't know play yeah, or definitely. things or thinking or dreaming or you know no, stories no internet stuff. is yeah. allowed on a Sunday no video games or switches or that's it or yeah no screen time go and figure something out yourself yeah. <laughs> like entertain yourself in the garden or yeah, something build yeah build a den or in fact that's a really strong memory I have as a as a as a teenager so I would have been about 17 at my mum and dad's friend's house for their annual bonfire party again this is another really strong memory like a film in my head and I was yeah I was about 17 I come back and it was a family party and I thought I'm gonna go it'll be great and there were loads of teenage boys sitting in their living room all on whatever it was back then I don't know PlayStation (laughs) Sega I don't know don't even know what they are now but they're all playing on a games console and there was one child who would have been a few years younger than outside with a stick and a pile of leaves. And I looked at the kid outside in the garden with a pile of leaves and I thought, oh, I really hope my kids are like that. Not yeah. like all the boys on the PlayStations are not, they weren't talking to each other, they weren't interacting, they were just staring at the screen. Yeah. And I do worry a bit that we've gone too far on the tech side and just get outside, explore the garden. The horses, like you say, yeah, just do yeah. something a bit more active. Yeah. Back, back in March when it was, when kind of, you know, schools were closed and we were homeschooled, I was working right yeah. through. So we, I couldn't really manage to do any kind of actual formal structured homeschool. So my kids' homeschool consisted of a lot of nature projects and den building and playing football outside. And we had kind of, we went and got some tadpoles from the pond and we ordered some, you know, you can get the little caterpillars that hatch into butterflies. Generally, homeschool was outdoor. So long as they read and were outside and did something else one day, then that counted. We didn't, we didn't do any worksheets or any uh, actual structured lessons. That's brilliant. And they would have learned loads. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. It may be, I mean, the weather and we've got a big garden definitely helped. We're lucky in that respect. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, so you don't have any spare time. <laughs> I mean, if I did, I'd immediately do agree to do something else. I do sometimes think I could do with an extra day in the week, but I'd fill it up with something else. So I'm kidding myself if I think I know I would. I'd agree to more. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't immediately Gosh, be absorbed. <laughs> exactly. Got to be busy all the time. Yeah. What about if you weren't doing the job you're doing now? What would be your like dream other job, if you like? Ooh. Maybe, as I say, as a child, you wanted to be a vet, but is there anything where you think, God, that would be incredible if I could do that? Yeah, I think I'd love to do something like with an NGO or something environmental yeah. or something kind yeah. of, you know, really trying to make change, like climate activist or something or kind of, or a... I don't know, some, something around kind of maybe an NGO around environmental change or I would like that. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, 
That does sound amazing. I've thought about that. In fact, the bad days, everyone has a bad day at work, don't they? Where I just think, oh, gosh, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to jack it all in. I often think about NGO life. But, yeah, oh, my yeah. gosh, it would be really hard as well. So I don't know why I think that. Would, <laughs> the grass is greener. But I've joined the board of a charity, actually, to try and give back a bit. And like you say, you're on a few boards, aren't you? And yeah. mentor people and stuff. So. And, you know, we, we both work for companies that kind of have kind of the power to make a change like part of me thinks that actually maybe you can affect more change from in business than from in third sector sometimes like it's really hard isn't it to really make things happen whereas I think sort of I believe that business is a force for good you know Arab really are the kind of the the poster child almost for that the whole shape a better world yeah Look at you! You're saying our uh, catchphrase. Well, I was there for six years. Well done. I was there for six years. I was there. Yeah. I spoke actually at the um, Arab the forum in York on the on social usefulness. Um, oh yes, of course. Yeah, of course you did. I yeah, thought we'd met. I was there. Yeah. Oh, so we said we'd yeah. find a time where our paths crossed. Cross. That was it. Yeah, my yeah. legs were shaking. Yeah. You watched the video back, and you can't tell, but I was. I felt like I was sh- visibly shaking on stage. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh, that was the Dervla hosted UK MEA forum, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. good. It was really good. It was really good. But really I good. Think that whole, like, business is a force for, you know, you know, long-term sustainable business, for me, is synonymous with kind of doing the right thing and investing in communities and investing in people. And I think if you only care about the short-term in business, then sure, you can you can make kind of bad choices and make a lot of money, but you won't last very long. And I think long-term business, that's going to be, successful for kind of like family businesses don't care about three-year shareholder turnaround you know they care about 20 30 year they care about the legacy you know yeah absolutely and is that how you're um playing the role on the town's fund do you think chairing that looking into the long term and yeah working across the sectors how's it going yeah no it's been good so the the role on the town's when i was first kind of approached and asked to chair it i kind of said to um jane and john um you know, look, I don't have much experience in kind of in local government and in how you write these plan applications. I worked in planning for a bit, but not for long. But I know I'm good at kind of getting people to work together and kind of getting people to like, I'm good at making collaboration happen. I'm good at getting lots of people around the table to kind of communicate well. And I think particularly in, well, probably everywhere, but in Cumbria, Often we think about, we think our kind of biggest challenge is our remoteness or our topography or our kind of poor infrastructure because we've got huge mountains in the way, uh, which is obviously a benefit as well. But I think in reality, in the past, one of the things that's held us back has been a lack of ambition and confidence and, and a lack of kind of pride in what we've, the good stuff we've got. And there's too, there's been too much kind of, um, you know, like people, like the whole one one local authority maybe doesn't like another or you know we're and that infight that kind of squabbling like if your kids come to you squabbling you don't want to hear it Westminster doesn't want to hear squabbling they want one voice that speaks loudly for all of Cumbria and so I think the town deal board I've tried to kind of really say that let's speak together let's work together you know we all benefit from this succeeding we all benefit from kind of supporting one another's projects and bringing that challenge and bringing a healthy and that's it seems to have worked really well it's been a lot of fun I've liked it actually oh that's good news excellent yeah I think we haven't yeah all the town boards seem to have been enjoying the role they're playing for sure and that connection of 
local interest with national agenda, I think is really important at the moment, especially as we work out with the pandemic. So it's good to hear. Yeah, amazing. Do you sit on other boards, did you say as well? Yeah, I'm on the LEP um, and I chair construction sector panel for Cumbria um, and I'm LEP's um, representative on one of the panels for Borderlands. But um, I haven't done much on that yet. In fact, I probably did more Arab on Borderlands when I was there. So um, I think I'm assuming maybe um, COVID's meant it's just slowed down a little bit recently. But there's the new report on the unions, isn't there, around um, how do you make sure kind of the the union stays together? And so there's a meeting about that, I think. Is it tomorrow? Next day? Later this week, anyway. Definitely coming up, isn't it? Yeah. 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 uh, It's interesting. I mean, I feel like... There's a huge, there's a lot of potential, isn't there, for good things to happen. And it's just about trying to make sure you you grab them and um, yeah. make them. Exactly. That's that point, isn't it, about confidence and optimism, I guess. We were talking about leadership earlier. I think if you've got inspiring leaders who've also got confidence in the way they can deliver, yeah. then, um, yeah, it sounds like you're doing a great job if that's how you're steering the board. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been a be good yeah yeah sounds excellent so um, the future gosh grazing into a crystal ball <laughs> what do you think the future holds for uh well that's not a very fair question god that's a bit open <laughs> i mean i we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier around leadership i would it would i would like yeah. to think that we would see a more kind of empathetic compassionate leadership but I don't know if we will and part of me thinks this is this kind of divisive type brand of politics we know much more American type of politics is this here to stay and if it is that doesn't leave much space for kind of compassionate leadership but on the global stage we've seen that be way more successful through this than the you know Trump style yeah yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Biden progresses things next oh, year, yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I do, I, There's yeah. optimism again, there's that word. A bit optimistic about what may happen next year in the on yeah. the global stage. I would like to think as well that maybe we've had kind of a 10 months or however long it's been now of kind of enforced not, not like consumerism, just be calmed down a little bit. Like you don't need to buy things and fly everywhere. Like maybe just to slightly slower pace and understanding that kind of impact that we have that you maybe don't need to buy all the time but I mean it's an interesting one because how does what happens to capitalism if people don't spend money and you know the whole there was actually I saw a study and it was looking at it was looking at um the, the cities that we think of being kind of green cities in the world, like maybe Scandinavian cities, we think they're really good, like their emissions yep. are really low and they've got yep. kind of green travel and things. And um, we, we maybe we look at them and think, well, they're really kind of a good example of what kind of the, the future might look like for cities. But actually, if you plan cities by their that kind of consumerism and the things they buy and you, you kind of almost make them responsible for the full carbon impact of what they're buying, then actually all the manufacturing that's there happening in um, Asia, if you say the consumers are responsible for the pollution that that causes, then suddenly it flips on its head. And and the cities that we think of as being super developed, actually, if they're the ones driving the kind of the, the global markets, if they're the ones that are buying phones and computers, and these phones and computers are using kind of rare, rare metals and then actually they're not they're not so green at all because the things they're buying 
at the root cause, at the kind of in their raw form aren't green, and we're 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 kind of congratulating ourselves that we shouldn't be quite so smug about that. It's these kind of you know middle class environmentalists buying their like me yeah. eco stuff. <laughs> Actually, if the things I'm buying in the way they're manufactured is really polluting, then I'm not. I shouldn't be contributing. Yeah. yeah. Do you know? What I'm, do you see what I mean? But then. What what government's gonna pick up that model? Because what happens to your economy if you go down that line? Oh, it's yeah. Gosh, that's such a layered issue, isn't it? I mean, we were looking the other day at the social value work, as I was mentioning earlier, and the green agenda and sustainability. And it's quite hard to uncouple the two. But yeah. on the other hand, the state of the economy at the moment is that if people can't afford to buy their children their school dinners, for instance, or a new pair of school shoes, or a Christmas present are they also worrying about their carbon <laughs> consumption and whether they've been doing the right level of recycling and you know how they're using public transport or a private vehicle and so forth it's such a complex issue I do wonder what's going to happen next year as we move out of the pandemic and the world tries to restart reboot if you like in terms of climate emergency it's such a complex issue I mean actually you're talking about politicians I don't want to end on some like negative point about politicians, but I was talking to my best friends last week on a Zoom call just saying we're all moaning about politicians at the moment, but what would we do that's different? How would you take a decision in that way? And actually, most sensible, excellent people I know are way too turned off politics to actually want to step into it. Totally. Why would so you? So who are, you know, my most sensible, most excellent friends who I would absolutely vote for would never go anywhere near politics. No, so. because, well, you're so, you're, it's such a thankless task, isn't it? And you're almost yeah. hated and your your personal life is no longer personal and you're, exactly. you're paid less and achieved more. So you may, why would you? Yeah, yeah. You, so we need to do probably something for the future generations thinking about the future and again sorry to hark on about what my kids say again but yeah my son the other day teenager thinking about his place in the world was asking who I voted for who I will vote for was really interested in politics yeah you know what's the story when I worked at city hall um really interested in that lens and I just hope that the next generation coming through have got that fire in their belly to stand and be counted and yeah work for their places because I think there are some amazing ward councillors and some amazing MPs out there but crikey it's like you say it's a bit of a slog at the moment isn't it and I wouldn't fancy yeah. it myself no back to the dream job not yeah. going to be an MP no. <laughs> it's tempting isn't it because you think you know you could make a difference and you want yeah but but really could you Thank you. Yeah. Be hitting your head I need New Zealand, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw a thing that said, um, you know, countries shouldn't shouldn't just look to New Zealand and think, oh, I wish she was our prime minister. Actually, like your country's full of of her, of leaders like her. But the problem is, we don't elect them. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, it's not that she's the only person in the world that is that good a leader. There's there's good leaders like that in oh, every gosh, country. But yeah. but do yeah. we support them and and kind of in like vote for them and when they get there, give them the, or do we rip them apart? <laughs> yeah. I guess it's that point. It's what a depressing about. way to finish. No, I know. Let's end on a high. <laughs> Gosh. Um, well, the moment of pause. I was going to say that when I was a child, 
going back to the very first few questions, my dream job would have been a radio DJ. I so badly wanted to play music and just talk at people who couldn't see me. So I feel like doing a podcast is living the dream of a like, 12-year-old. So there you go. I've never done one of these before. I'm just talking and people listen. Yeah. My cousin is um, a radio DJ and she oh, is really? covering for Annie Mac on Radio 1 on New Year's Eve. So that's exciting. That's something I can look forward to listening to my cousin on Radio 1. Ah. I'm going to tune in. That'll be amazing. Sarah Story. That'll be amazing. My cousin is also a DJ, actually. He's not a radio DJ, you know, clubs and stuff. And sent me a photo one day of DJing at some festival in Brazil or something while I was sitting at my desk at Arif and I did think, crikey. I think he's got it better than me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she's she worked. Although it kind of looks glamorous, but she worked really hard. Like she really, oh gosh, kind I'm of, sure, crazy she really hours knows as well. Stuff. Yeah, and she re- like she really knows kind of the technical side of it. And there's she um she's she's worked hard hard to get to where she is. Yeah, but it's still exciting that she's um yeah on Radio One. Amazing, another high achieving woman. Good yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool, we're probably right. running out of time. I knew we could have talked for longer. I know, I could have talked to you all day, but um, I think we've got to go and do our jobs now, haven't we? Yeah. That's a shame. This is more fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, really nice to meet you. Yeah. Well, I think, as we say, we've met before in York, but yeah, it's been lovely to get to know you. Yeah, I was so frightened that day. I probably can't remember anyone I spoke to. of uh, stage fright. Yeah, it is a bit intimidating, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, well, lovely to meet you. Yeah, Thanks you so too. much for the time. Thanks, Joanna. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you to Emma and Joanna for letting us listen to that conversation. It was really interesting to hear how all of those different influences have made them the people that they are today um, and how they take that with them into life and work um, and all of those different situations that they covered. I hope you enjoyed listening and if you would like to join in the conversation you can do that by sending us a message on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find us on Instagram as 66 People Places, Facebook we are 66 UK and Twitter the 66 underscore UK. Please do join in, we'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and we will be bringing more episodes soon. Thank you. The 66 Podcast, for all the people and places between the west coast of Cumbria and the Tees Valley. This is the UK's answer to Route 66.